You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Yeah, hi everybody and welcome. Merry Christmas to you. Welcome everybody online and in the room. Great to be back with you today. Carrie and I were in Washington, D.C. last weekend with the sister church, another church in our Every Nation family, and we're thrilled to be, be back with you today and of course this coming week on Christmas Eve. Uh, as we approach the end of this year, we're also approaching the end of this series. Just one more week to go after today. And so as we approach the end of the year and as we approach the end of the series, I'd actually like to start the message and in the year with a few thank yous today. Can I do that? Your answer is yes, you can. Okay. So first, thanks for staying with me for this very long series. This is actually the longest series I think I've ever worked through and pastoring. And I hope through this, you've come to see the formative value in taking a longer look at a single book of the Bible with a sustained theme. Second, I just want to say thank you to a few people and groups of people. I want to say thank you to our elders today, John Lloyd and Galen Washington, who are incredible, yet godly men and world-class leaders. Their support and their leadership means everything to me, and I would not have made it without them. We would not be who we are without them. Next, I want to say thank you to our Mosaic staff today, because they are incredibly uh, diligent, talented. They worked really, really hard this past year, these last few years in particular this year most of all and so if you have a relationship with one of our staff members and you're able to do something kind for them or say something kind to them you should totally do that they are more than deserving of it and listen they're amazing I think we have the best staff team in the world I want to say thank you yeah to our deacon team for all of our deacons here thank you for saying yes to the ask and to the call and for your consistent and amazing service and ministry you model Christ-like leadership for us, and we are all the better because of it. I'd like to thank every single team member here at Mosaic, from our service teams, to our ministry leads, to our community group leaders. Thank you for stepping up and investing your time over this past year to make a big difference in people's lives and communities. I can't tell you how meaningful and important and significant you are right here. You lead in worship, you serve kids and youth, you make coffee, you do the broadcast team, celebrate recovery, serve the homeless, decorate the place, open up your homes, but most of all, you love people. And I hope today, a little bit, you feel loved back. And finally, I'd like to thank all of you, all of us Mosaic Church, for such an incredible year this year. This year, 2022, we were able to do so many amazing things together, including send, as you heard, Pastor Alvin Brown to Fort Worth to start Mosaic Fort Worth back in August. We had a record offering this year for our Live Big Sunday. We launched the miracle of our South Campus in November. We sent Luke and Holly Smith to Italy as missionaries. They're back visiting today, oh yes. And we launched a third service this year. And if all of that sounds like a lot, it's because it's all been a lot. And we were so, and, but your faithfulness, service, and generosity have made such a big difference in just one year. So thank you. And one of my great hopes is that here at Mosaic, that you know and you feel like that you are part of something incredible in your lifetime. Not through me, not through just you, but through the us. Do the us. This is a remarkable church, and I am blessed to be here. Amen? Amen. 
Amen, amen. All right, I'm gonna ask you to do one more thing for me. Actually, we're gonna turn our attention to the message. Would you stand for me now for the reading of God's word? And Christina's gonna come up and be our scripture reader today for all of us. Here we go. Our scripture reading today is from Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, he replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he broke bread and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Amen. 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 You can be seated. Thank you, Christina. Appreciate that very much. You know, we're not here today because, primarily because of a book. We're not here primarily today because of a church or a church council or just because of a hope we have somewhere off in the future, although certainly we have that. We're here today because there was that baby born in that manger on that day who suffered and died for our sins and was ultimately raised from the dead. And what happens immediately after that, after Jesus comes back to life and walks out of that tomb, 
That's what we're looking at right now. And this story we just read, it's super long, but it's super good, has come to be one of my very favorite stories in all the Bible because only the gospel writer Luke captures this story. It's here certainly because he interviewed the people in the story. It's the longest post-resurrection narrative in any of the Gospels, and it's all about one single thing, one single question Luke, the writer, has been pushing us to ask and answer from the very beginning, and it's this single question, who is Jesus? Who is he? Who is Jesus? And the answer we get today at the beginning of the end is this, he is the one who meets us. Jesus Christ is the God who meets us. And that's good news. And we're gonna look at that today. Where and how does Jesus meet us? He meets us in four ways, as we'll see in this passage. He meets us, number one, on the bitter road. Number two, with a better story. Number three, in the broken bread. And finally, through the burning heart. On the bitter road with a better story and the broken bread and through the burning heart. Let's begin in number one and ask again, where does he meet us? Number one, it is on the bitter road. Let's begin in verse 13. It says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So why were two men walking home seven miles from Jerusalem? Well, to, to paraphrase Charles Dickens' opening words of a Christmas carol, Jesus was dead. And there was no doubt, whatever, about that. And this hit them hard and this hit them bad. And here on the bitter road back to Emmaus after leaving Jerusalem, you see they, here they've given up on the whole Jesus thing. They've given up on the whole faith thing, the whole God thing, the whole movement thing. And they are taking their faith ball and they are literally going home. Why? Why did this hit them so hard? Well, one of the men actually tells us, he says this, but we had hoped that he was the one. We had hoped that he was the one. And isn't this the way that life works for us sometimes? We had hoped that Jesus, of course, was the one who was going to come through for us in a certain way. And maybe this was you in 2022. You had hoped that this was the year. You had hoped for the marriage or for the proposal, you, but it didn't happen. You, you prayed for the child, but it never came. Or you prayed for your child, but they, they blew their lives apart. You had hoped, hmm? For your business, you had hoped for the blessing. You had hoped for your breakthrough, but it all broke bad. And if that's you today, in your own way, you're, you're kind of like these men. You went to Jerusalem. Maybe you, you showed up for church. Maybe you came to the service with a heart full of hope like these men, only to feel let down by God again. You had hoped that this time would be the one time. You had hoped this year would be the one year. And maybe, maybe now without saying it, you're, you're kind of like these men. You're on your way away from the rest of the disciples. If you were honest, you, you kind of got like one hand on the door, one foot out the door today because you can't deal with the disappointment or the letdown of what's happened to you. You had hoped, but something died. For me, uh, in the middle of 2021, about a year ago, for a whole bunch of reasons, I, I found myself at one of my lowest points. Maybe you were, were there. I know a lot of people were. My, my heart had gotten not good about a lot of things, but mostly it was bad and mostly it was sad towards God. And I, in the middle of 21, I had spent a few days with a few friends at this annual prayer retreat I attend. And even there, my friends kind of got to me. 
It wasn't them, it really was me. And I got mad at them and I acted kind of badly toward them for which I've since apologized. And our last moment in the airport wasn't a good one. I got kind of awkward. I said some, some unkind things uh, which I've since apologized for, and we all, we all kind of left. And I, and I got on my bitter flight to come back home feeling ashamed of myself, which for an Enneagram 3, you kind of don't know what to do with yourself at this point. The, the thing, thank you for both Enneagram fans here laughing, the thing I had gone to with my hopes up had left me the worst for the wear, but one of my friends had actually advised me in a moment that week to do something that stuck with me. He advised me to ask God where he was at every painful point in my recent past. And so I did. And I sat on that flight in, the, in between two strangers. I put on my sunglasses and hurled my questions and accusations against God. Where were you when? When that happened? Where were you? When they said this, when they twisted that, where were you? Did you not know that that had happened, see, 2020 and 2021 for me and maybe for some of you was one big giant we had hoped. Or rather, I had hoped. I had hoped things wouldn't have gone the way that they did, but they did. And so, God, I'm kind of just one more bad bit of not good nonsense from walking away from you, taking my ball and going back to Emmaus. And I sat between a couple of strangers and wept. But something Something strange happened to me, and here's what it was. Even though my questions never got answered, I felt something strange happen. Someone come near me. I felt in a small way like a flicker of flame came with me on a dark road. Jesus came and sat with me in seat 32A or whatever it was. He was with me on my bitter road. See, sometimes there's a surprise in the sadness Sometimes he meets you on your bitter road. And I want to tell you, if that's you, if that's where you are, I want to tell you, Jesus wants to meet you there, now, today. You know why? Here's why. It's because he's not afraid of your questions. And he's not afraid of your pain. Yours or mine or even theirs. Because look at, look at what happens here with these men. Jesus, Jesus rises from the dead. And what does he do? He didn't just roll up on these randos, you know, and he doesn't just flex on them like, hey, y'all, did you hear about what I just did? Just got done. Hashtag Satan sucks, right? I mean, it was, it was awesome. You should have been there. No, he, he has a conversation with them. He lovingly asks them, what are you discussing as you walk along like he doesn't know? He's so gentle with them in their pain. He's so kind to them in their despair. And then one of them named Cleopas answers. Cleopas kind of insults Jesus. He says, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened? I mean, this would be hilarious if it weren't so sad. Cleopas, he's basically turning to his buddy here saying, get a load of this guy. He hadn't been checking Twitter, has he? No. Once again, Jesus is so kind. He's so patient. He just asks, what things? What things? See, Jesus is the God who meets us on our bitter road. So hear me. Come with your questions. Come with your pain. Stay for his answer. Stay for his answer. What answer does he give these men in their pain? Number two, he gives them a better story. On the bitter road with the better story. Because you'll notice here, this is crucial to get, he doesn't just say, 
It doesn't just say that their hopes in general were crushed, but Cleopas says their hope in something specific was crushed. Cleopas says, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Going to redeem Israel. In other words, in other words, their hopes and their own story were crushed because their highest hopes, like their countrymen's hopes, were ethnocentric, nationalistic, in focus. The Messiah, they thought, sure, he could suffer. Maybe that's what that whole bit back in Isaiah 53 was all about. You know, was it, was it all about Israel suffering as a nation? Was Isaiah 53 about a, a single individual Messiah suffering? But either way, if it was an individual Messiah, surely his suffering would be aimed at restoring Israel to international prominence and glory. And again, that's what the rest of the disciples were still hoping for. Later in Acts chapter 1, you can read it. Even after a whole month of spending uh, time with the risen Jesus, they still asked him, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom, not to the whole world, but to Israel? Like, we're so glad you're alive. Whew, you know, but can you get on with the, our nation being awesome bit? Over and over, they missed the point of his passion. And again, you'll notice so far, as we pointed out, Jesus has been so kind, so patient, but this kind of triggers him. Verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are. Like, where did that come from? How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. <laughs> did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? See here, the big green supernatural muscles sort of, you know, rip through his resurrection robe here. He's, he is now flexing on him. You can understand it, right? I mean, here he is. He's risen from the dead, being super patient with them. Then they spill their guts and admit what they were really upset about wasn't that Jesus suffered and died. It was their nation not coming back to international prominence. It's when they make everything about themselves and their own plans and their own story. That's when Jesus gets a little testy. His plan wasn't just for one nation. It was to create a house of prayer for all nations. And then, then he does something amazing. Verse 27, he breaks it down for them. And therefore, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning who? Himself. He said, all the things you've hoped for your whole life, all your personal hopes, all your national hopes, they've all been too small. What you were hoping for all along was really me. And then he starts in the book of Genesis and works his way through the whole thing. He says, you know, you know that, that seed promised in Genesis 3 all the way back in the garden, the one that was supposed to come and crush evil. He says, I'm that seed. He says, you know the lamb sacrificed in Egypt so your nation could go free? That's me, but way better. I'm not just a lamb, I am the lamb. You know that perfect law Moses gave you that you're always trying to keep? I kept it perfectly. I am the law keeper. You know, you know that, that great king you keep thinking about from your past, that guy David? He was aight, but I am the king of kings. I didn't just feat, defeat Goliath. I am the champion who went down into the valley of the shadow of death and defeated Satan. I am the king. Hey, hey, you know the prophets, the truth tellers? I'm not just the truth they prophesied about. I am truth 
itself. I am the blessing promise to come through Abraham. I am Isaac, the true child of promise. I am Joseph, thrown in a pit by his brothers, but raised back to life to save the world. I am Ruth, an immigrant to your world, whose faithful friendship redeems the broken line of humanity. I am Esther, who didn't just risk her life, but who gave his life to ultimately save humanity from destruction. I suffered like Job. I sang the Psalms. I am the ultimate wisdom in Proverbs. I'm the lover of your soul from the Song of Songs. I'm rebuilding the world like Nehemiah rebuilt this city because one day I'll come to bring Isaiah's new heaven and new earth. I'm the stone Daniel saw. I'm the man on the throne Ezekiel fell down in front of. All the scriptures are first about me and my great big story, not you in your story. So let me ask you today, friend, church online in the room, what story are you living inside? His or another? His great big story or your smaller one? Let me ask you, what story are you living inside? Our modern culture stories, oh, they're so small. They're ultimately failures. Let me give you three, three examples. First, our atheistic Darwinian story today. That's a failure. Because if we have a meaningless beginning, if God is involved nowhere at the beginning of our story, and then if our future is meaningless, if nothing happens when we die, and all we do is rot, then how can our lives in between be meaningful? They can't, they're not. We just lie to ourselves, if it's true, to pass the time. Second, our modern identity formation story. That one's a failure because if you are the ultimate authority in your life, if you just decide who you are by looking inside and by defining who you are by how you feel and demanding everyone ought to applaud and affirm, anyway, we all wanna live. Let me tell you, you have no answer. Our culture has no answer for the racist or for the greedy banker or for the warmongering dictator or the one who abuses you or does the same when they harm someone. See, starting with ourselves to define ourselves, it's incoherent. It can't last. And finally, our modern burn it to the ground story. That one's a failure too. Some people are doing their best to live that one out now. Why? Because it's always easier to critique than it is to create. Anyone can break a thing. But it takes beauty, it takes brilliance, it takes sacrifice to build. Hear me, it only costs God his breath to create the world, but it cost him his son to make and redeem the world. And this, this is why Jesus has a better story. He's where all the plot lines of your life and human life and human history intersect. And if you want to understand who you are, why you were here, what your story means, hear me, you don't look inside first. You look to him first. And he shows us where to find his story. It's in the scriptures. Scriptures, and that's why we read our Bibles. <laughs> You're like, was all of that just to get me to read my Bible? Maybe, maybe. We read it not just for inspiration or information, which I hope you get, but for transformation because Jesus' story pulls us up and out of ours like he's pulling these men up and out of theirs. And when that happens, that changes. It transforms how we see the world. Let me tell you, our lives are lived best, not inside small, temporary, ultimately hopeless, we're on our own stories, but through and in his bold, beautiful, hope-filled, and true story, where even if, yeah, the evil in this world claims a life, in the end, resurrection swallows it up, and it wins. You say, Morgan, how can I get that? Where can I begin 
even begin again, maybe, to live inside that. It's through the third way he meets us here, in the broken bread. He shows us, actually, his better story in the broken bread. Now, these two men, follow this, arrive back at home. They invite him in after like a four-hour Bible study. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there for that? I would have. And then this happens, verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Here's the question. Why did they only recognize him now when he broke the bread? One commentator I found said this, maybe, maybe it's because when he broke the bread, that's when they looked down and saw his hands and his nails, the, the holes in his hands for the nails. For the first time, they saw the nail piercings, and for the first time, they connected the broken bread with his broken body. I heard this example from a Sri Lankan pastor. Follow me. He said this. He said, think about it. If you, if you get a cut anywhere on you, say on your knee, and it doesn't heal properly, if it gets infected and your body doesn't fight off the infection, you die, which is a crazy thought, isn't it? You could die from one little germ in one little cut. It's crazy to think that such a microscopic amount of brokenness could kill you. Now, you say, Morgan, that's a little dark at Christmas. Okay, but we don't really ever live in fear of that, do we? We don't. Why? It's because if you go to the place where there is an infection, there's a massive but microscopic war going on on your behalf. There's a battle raging there, and you can tell when a big battle is raging because of the presence of one thing. Trigger warning. <laughs> it's pus. Pus, yeah, that's right. And by the way, it's a gross word, I know, but it's an amazing thing in a language when the word actually kind of is the thing that it sounds like, you know? Like scooch, skedaddle, and jiggle all fit that category as well. But pus, on one hand, yeah, it's gross. It's sticky, yellowish. You don't want to look at it. And if you show it to Pastor Brett Milligan, he might pass out, and I'm not joking. But I want to suggest to you that while in a way, sure, it's gross, in another way, it's also glorious, and here's why. That pus is the collective corpses of millions and millions of collective corpuscles which have died so that you can live. Those cells sacrificed themselves so that you could go on. See, God, here's the point, loves us so much that he literally placed the truth that something has to die and be broken so that we can live inside our very bodies, in our DNA, in our very blood, and I wanna tell you this today, even if you don't wanna acknowledge it, it's still true. Your own blood testifies that it takes a kind of a death to bring you life. And that's why Jesus takes the bread with his disciples the night he was betrayed and said, this is my body broken for you. And when we encounter him in the broken bread, we look at it and remember, this is what the Christian story is all about. We see who Jesus is and what he came to do. We recognize him. When we see Jesus' body broken, we remember the body broken for us. We recognize him in truth all over again. And when we offer ourselves to others, it helps them recognize who he is as well. 
And sure, there's a final way Jesus meets us in this passage. Quickly, finally, number four, it's through the burning heart. Through the burning heart. I love this. It says they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, it's true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. See, after they recognize him, Jesus, this is weird, I know, he disappears from them. This is something, by the way, he only does post-resurrection. This happens multiple times. This is showing he has a recognizable but different kind of body. But you'll notice what they said. Our hearts, cardia is the word, burned within us while he was with us. And then, then think about it. What did the burning heart enable them to do? Here it says, well, they, they got back in the car. <laughs> they got back on the road. They turned the plane around and they flew back to Jerusalem and proclaimed the resurrection. The burning heart got them up and out of the house and enabled them for Christian mission. And you and I need the same thing today. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., in a dark moment of his own, on a bitter road, 1956, had his own burning heart kind of moment. The words you're about to hear and read are taken from a sermon he preached called, Our God is Able. Our God is Able. He said, after the Montgomery bus protest had been undertaken, we began to receive threatening phone calls and letters. At first, I took them in my stride. But as the weeks passed, I realized that many of the threats were in earnest. I felt myself growing in fear. After a particularly strenuous day, I settled in bed at a late hour when the telephone rang. An angry voice said, listen, we've taken all we want from you. Before next week, you'll be sorry you ever came to Montgomery. I could not sleep. It seemed that all my fears had come down on me at once. I was ready to give up. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had almost gone, I determined to take my problem to God. I bowed and prayed aloud. I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I am afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership, and if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I've come to the point I can't face it alone. At that moment, I experienced the divine presence as I never before experienced him. It seemed as though I heard an inner voice saying, stand up for righteousness, stand up for truth. God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears began to pass from me. The outer situation remained the same, but God had given me inner calm. Three nights later, our home was bombed. Strangely enough, I accepted the word of the bombing calmly. My experience with God had given me new strength and trust. I knew now that God is able to give us the interior resources to face the storms of life. Friends, he meets us on our bitter road and invites our questions and welcomes our pain. He meets us with a better story to pull us up out of our own. He meets us in the broken bread to help us recognize him. And he meets us through the burning heart to give us strength for our mission. He does these things and more, of course, so we'll trust in him. Because as you've been hearing for weeks and weeks and weeks now, trusting Jesus turns it all around. Hope you can say amen to this. Let me take a moment and pray for you. And Pastor Roslyn will come. Lord, I thank you for this. Lord, for this incredible account of how patient and loving you were with some sad and frustrated folks. 
Lord, I pray for all of those here today, at the end of a year, at the end of a road, at the end of a time. Lord, for all those who are weary and heavy laden, you'd come and meet them here and give them rest. That you'd meet us, meet every one of us on whatever bitter road we're walking. That your better story would pull us up. The broken bread would help us recognize what you did for us. And finally, you'd help our hearts to burn within us today, to open our mouths, invite, proclaim, love, serve, give. I pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.